Oh, hi, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. We're here to talk about a little uh, little film called The Room, which eventually turned into a little film that's now called The Disaster Artist. Get ready to be torn apart and keep all your comments in your pockets. <laughs> Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Fair Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Brandon Prosek. And I'm your other host, <laughs> Jessica Quaz. What a good Tommy. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> it's not even really a Tommy. It's just like like mumbling and like sort of like forgetting a letter here and there. Like it's not even an accent. I think he, I'm still convinced he's an I alien. Think he is. But uh, before we get into that, that's a that's a whole bag of stuff. Um, you may have heard uh, episodes ago when Jess and I did a episode on movies that are so bad they're good. We talked a lot about The Room because that's considered the worst movie of all time. And um, we decided that once The Disaster Artist came out because it is inspired by The Room, that we would do a whole episode about like both of them combined. Honestly, we could someday maybe do like the room commentary or something, but on like we just got to talk about both these because the disaster art is out. We both saw mm-hmm. it, Jess. I saw it twice. Did you see it uh, once or twice? I only saw twice? it once, but I would go back and see it. I absolutely loved it. I was so happy with it. Just in case you're someone that is like, I don't know what the room is. I don't know what the disaster artist is. Like, what are you guys talking about? We're going to kind of go down like the timeline of how this all came to be and kind of fill you in so that it's not just going to be all inside jokes. Like I know if someone's a fan of the room, they saw I did like three references in just the cold open. It's not going to be insider baseball, Easter egg, any of that stuff. This is going to be podcasts. We want to include both people who don't know what we're talking about, but also true fans like ourselves. So, um, yeah, before we get started, uh, Jess, what have you uh what have you been watching uh since our last episode? Well, I have been hanging out at movie theaters so much these past couple weeks because there are so many good movies that came out this year and are coming out this month that I need to see them all. So some of those include Ladybird, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Shape of Water, The Florida Project, and of course today's episode, The Disaster Artist. Um, I actually loved all of these movies. Um, if I had to choose one to urge people to go see, I would say if you can find the Florida Project at a movie theater, it's very limited release, so odds are you can't. Um, try to see that. It's a beautiful film. It's something you should see in theaters, even though it's an indie. The way it's shot is amazing. Um, and it's, like I said, very indie, very limited. So if you can have a chance to support a movie that's really small, I would say go see The Florida Project. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I've i also seen a decent amount of movies. Uh, as I just said, I saw The Disaster Artist twice. I also saw Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, 
which another one that was one of my favorites of the year. I will be up. I would be open to seeing that movie in theaters again, as well as Disaster Artist for a third time, if the opportunity arises. Other few films that are a bit older, one of which is uh, considered like one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. I just saw the first Alien movie um, with Sigourney Weaver. Um, yeah, by Ridley Scott. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I think, you know, it was fine. It, it didn't blow my mind or anything. And there was very little things that I didn't enjoy about it. I think it had some good twists. And luckily I hadn't been spoiled on some stuff. It was it was fun. A little slow for me. But then again, it came out in 79. So um, movies in the, around that area, you know, and before tended to be a bit slower. But no, first Alien, that was good. And then two other movies that I loved, um, John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2. <laughs> Jess, have you seen I've these movies? I've only seen the first one. The first one is awesome. It's just fun and action-filled and just great choreography, too. I heard the second one's good. Chapter 2 is really? better. Chapter 2 is better, oh, yes. Man. And like s- some people may disagree, but I don't see how... Like It just... The action is amped up. Um, they... What is so surprising is, like, everyone told me, literally every one of my friends who saw John Wick was like, you will like this, because I'm not a fan of when action scenes do all the quick cuts, and then you can't see any of the choreography that's done by the stunt teams and done by the actors to, like, work out for the film. So I was excited for these movies, and they did not disappoint. Uh, John Wick was really good, but John Wick Chapter 2 was also good. The great thing about these movies, too, the writing, is they actually do some very good world building for, like, this underground mercenary world that, like, I did not see coming. Like, I thought it was just straight up, hey, watch Keanu Reeves murder a bunch of people. And, like, that pretty much is what it is. Like, his character doesn't say a lot. I bet if you add up all of his lines... Um, he wouldn't even look like the lead character because, like, he just doesn't talk much because he just is kicking ass instead. But also, like, this movie was, like, smarter than it needed to be because there was this world building of, like, this hotel that, like, hitmen go to where, like, they can't kill each other. And, like, there's all these rules and they have, like, these gold coins for currency. And, like, it's just... It's so entertaining. Like, if all action movies were like this, I would be way more for seeing action movies in the theaters opposed to like smaller films like some we're going to talk about. But yeah, if you haven't seen these movies, please do. It's there's so much fun. Like they're obviously there it's like not performances or storylines that are Oscar worthy or anything like that, but it's like action how it should be done. And also, I'm really excited to see where these directors go. I mean, these were both stunt choreographers and stunt guys for years. And they've worked their ways up to, like, directing these two awesome movies. I can't wait for John Wick Chapter 3. Um, I love that the world building that uh, this writer and the creative team did. So check out those movies. Um, and also, it's nice because, like, those movies weren't made for a shit ton of money. Like, you know, like a movie like Justice League, it took them half a billion dollars to make it. Whereas I'm pretty sure these movies were made for both less than $100 million. So support movies like that. Um so, Jess, what have you been watching on TV since last episode? So, I have discovered two really, really awesome shows. Um, the first one is Dark. Have you heard of this on Netflix? I think you mentioned it oh, to I me. Oh, I probably did, because I'm obsessed with it. And I probably am going to start watching <laughs> it again, like, second viewing. Basically, it's a more 
uh, darker, hence the title, a version of Stranger Things, where, like, uh, it, the kid, however, like, the kids in this are a little bit older, they're, like, teenagers rather than children, and it starts up when one of their friends goes missing, kind of similar to Stranger Things, but other than that, they're very different, Dark goes into a place that I never thought it would, um, it's unbelievable. It is a German show. However, there aren't subtitles. It is dubbed over. So once you get past the fact that like the characters' mouths don't match with what they're saying, it's really, really good. And it's also really beautifully shot. So Dark, if you like sci-fi, this will be your jam. Check it out. It's really good. It's on Netflix. And then the second I discovered is called Slasher. It's actually a Canadian horror anthology, which is also on Netflix. You can go check it out. They have two seasons. Um... Both, like the title says, are about different slashers. Uh, so the first one is about like sort of like a, a town that's being haunted by a serial killer. Uh, it's very much like the town that dreaded sundown kind of vibe to it. And then the second one is about a group of friends who I, I don't want to give too much away, but basically they're like being hunted down because they're terrible people and they sort of deserve it but um it's really great if if you're a horror fan like me you'll absolutely love it and then I've actually been re-watching old episodes of Friends because our last episode got me in the mood for some Friends and I gotta say like I've seen this show at least a hundred times and it's I'm still laughing like I still laugh at jokes I never caught or like things I've heard a million times but are still really funny Friends is just a great show to, like, have on in the background to, like, cheer you up. Yeah, I could agree to that. That, Yeah, Friends and Seinfeld, those are the two shows that I grew up on, so I totally get that. But, yeah, I'll have to take a look at those those shows on, on Netflix. Uh, so, yeah, I, a couple shows that I've been watching. Um, this one, I, I finally finished the last two episodes of the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Hilarious. He literally had, like, a six-year gap between seasons, and some seasons had, like, a two-year gap. And it's like he never left. Like, it just, like he just picked it right back up. All the guest stars are funny. The the situations, uh, like, it. it's just one of the best comedies ever done right now. So check it out on HBO. The new season of Curb is hilarious. Um, and then finally, a show that I've been watching for the better part of a year... That I finally finished, and thank the the. It's a good thing. Well, not it's good. It's not a good thing. I had the flu, but like it was able. It was an excuse for me to sit down and binge a shit ton. So last time we recorded an episode, I was on probably like episode like fifteen of season five of The West Wing. Well, I finished the rest of season five, watched the entirety of season six and season seven. <laughs> <laughs> Like, in the time that I was sick, I watched, like, a season and a half, and then, like, the last week or two watched, like, another half season. So I have officially seen every episode of The West Wing. Um, Yeah, wow. (laughs) There's a reason why people still say that that show is considered one of the greatest shows of all time. Um, It's... I mean, it's not just because the first four seasons had Aaron Sorkin as the writer. It had a great cast. It had, like, a great premise. Um, it just, for a show that was made on NBC from like 99 to 2006, it had a lot of stuff that's like still relevant today. Um, and like, I remember 
when I was a little kid and my parents would turn on the Emmys and like it's like the West Wing nominated for this, the West Wing nominated for this, the West Wing. I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is this show that is literally just like ransacking every category? And then like I watched it and I'm like, oh, that's why, because it's fucking awesome. <laughs> Like, like, they've won, like, probably every category of actor, supporting actor, actress, supporting actress, guest stars, writing, directing. I don't know how much longer it's going to be on Netflix. I know, like, the NBC's been pulling a lot of stuff from there. So I really recommend, if you're interested, check out The West Wing. It's really worth it. Um, and it was a show that, like, sure, it faltered a little bit, like, in the middle. But towards the end, it, it ended on a good note, and it kind of picked back up. Um... Not as good as the first couple of seasons with Sorkin, but very entertaining. Uh, Jess, especially because you like the newsroom, and I know you like mm-hmm. Sorkin, watch at least the first couple seasons of West Wing, and you'll see like this same kind of dialogue and rapid fire stuff and performances that like Sorkin did with Newsroom. Yeah, totally. I've watched the first season and I really enjoyed it. And it's just one of those shows where like I know I'll like it. I just need to actually like watch it. But yeah, the first season is really great. And like you said, like even though it was. Like, the late 90s, it still felt like it could be very relevant today. Um, But, Jess, let's get to what we all are here to chat about. Um, The Room and The Disaster Artist. And we talked about we're going to kind of go down, like, the timeline of this, you, you know, terrible movie turned into, like, masterpiece adaptation. So, like... Can you give just, like, a brief little summary to the audience, like, how you kind of came across the room, maybe your first experience with it, just, like, a little little recap, and we may have mentioned this previously, but in case they didn't listen to the other episode where we chatted sure. about Sure. Well, I feel like my experience with the room was very lucky. Like, I just want to start off by saying that, because a lot of people came kind of... I, I don't know. You have a different experience with the room, and I think what makes the room so great is when you watch it with people, like... If you're listening to this and you have not seen The Room, I would not suggest watching it by yourself because I've tried it. And it's not fun. It's not fun by yourself. It's very awkward. Um, But yeah, so I had a friend in high school who I'm still friends with, John. Um, He was very much into movies like myself, but he was more into like B-movies, underground movies, things like I wasn't hearing about. And this was before streaming, too. So he was finding, like, these weird hidden gems. Like, I saw all the trauma (laughs) movies because of him. I saw Class of Newcomb High because of him. I saw... uh, What? I can't think of the other one. Whatever. I saw a ton of, like, weird movies, and this was one of them. Um, And my friends and I were always sort of, like, unsure about the movies that John would put on because, like... Either they were really bad and we would all laugh, or, like, they were just really bad and we couldn't stand watching them. But, yeah, I remember us being over at his house. There was a group of us, maybe about, like, five or six of us, and he's like, you guys have to see this. And we're like, all right, John, what is it? And it was The Room, and from the minute it came on, I just was sucked in. I I just, I loved it, and... I was laughing, I was dying, I was looking at my friends like, are you seeing this too? What is happening? I don't understand, but I'm laughing so hard. And I think that's like what keeps the room going and how it is big as it is, is because you watch it with people and you share these experiences and you share these laughs and it's so much fun. Like, that's the part of it that I love. Yeah, definitely. And I, Jess, I I think I remember years ago you encouraging me to watch it. Because, like, somehow it came up in conversation. I said that I hadn't seen it. 
And this is back when, you know, you lived in Chicago, too. And you're like, you got to see it. And I was kind of like, used to be in a mentality. I'm like, Jess, you don't understand. Like, there are so many good movies that I haven't seen. Like, I can't watch a movie that's considered the worst of all time. Like, I still, like, I still to this day, haven't seen Godfather Part 2. Like, there are so many <laughs> classics. I, I just watched Alien for the first time. Like, there are so many good movies. I, like, refused to, like, watch it. Um, and also, I didn't really have any other friends that, brought it up so I was like oh maybe this is just Jess you know like really enthused about this terrible movie which could be because um, I really get into terrible movies a lot so I give you that yeah and so then like I just remember like over the years like it kept coming up from different people and finally um <laughs> my friend Jerry shout out to Jerry Gonzalez he's been a guest on this podcast a few times said like I'm gonna have a room party like, please, uh, like, come check it out, because like you said, the room is so much better to watch in a group. And just in case you've gotten this far in the podcast and you're confused, the room is not the one with Brie Larson. That's room. <laughs> that one deserved all the Oscar praise it got. This is the room that came out in 2003 and became like a cultural phenomenon. Um, I went, so like, real just, quick, I once had a full conversation for like 15 minutes when I was trying to convince the person that The Room is an awful but great movie, they weren't buying it. They thought I was talking about Room for, like, 15 minutes. And then I was like, well, that's why you didn't understand (laughs) Keep Your Comments in Your Pocket. Like, that's why you're not getting it. Very, very different movies. (laughs) Very, very different. Cheep, 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 cheep. Yeah, so... Just in case I wanted to clarify, The Room and Room, two wildly <laughs> different movies. So The Room um, is was written, directed, produced, and stars Tommy Wiseau. We'll get more into that soon. But I just remember Jerry said this is back in April, and I think coincidentally it fell on like April 1st or something that he was doing a room party. And him and so many of his friends said, like, yeah, you got to watch it in a group. Don't watch it alone. He's like, all right, well, at least I'm in a group. We're going to have food. We're going to have beer. And we're going to just watch it. And (laughs) (laughs) I've used this analogy numerous times probably on this podcast and in real life. So if you're a friend of mine, you're probably like, Brandon, you keep saying this joke. But I'm going to keep saying it for the rest of my life is um, sort of like B.C. and A.D. with like before Christ, after death, like how they used to count up in time and then got to zero and now they're going forward. My life is now in two sections, like the 25 years before I saw The Room and now the 25 years or, or 25 years. I'm going to die at 50. <laughs> but, and now and now the rest of my life after having seen The Room. So it's like BR and AR. Um, I'm currently in one AR. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like this, this movie is so bad on every level of bad. It's so... Like, it's not just like... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. It, it, it's not just like, oh, the writing's bad, oh, the story's bad, both of which are the directing is bad, the cinematography is bad, all of the acting is bad, the... Just the... The title doesn't make sense. Like, there's... <laughs> the sound is off. There's a lot of um, replacement audio of stuff that just is fucked up. Like, it just, on every level, doesn't work at all. But at the same time, because it all was a whirlwind of horribility, that it 
somehow formed greatness. Like it just, it's, it's a level that like, it's so rewatchable. And once we get into the behind the scenes, we'll, we'll tell you why this is like a whole nother thing. But like after I saw it that night, like back in April of this year, I couldn't stop talking about it. Like I was telling all of my friends who hadn't heard of it or who hadn't seen it. I'm like, you got to see this. Like, it's so bad. It's ridiculous. And for a while I even refused to buy it because I was like, I don't know if I could actually own this <laughs> like without feeling embarrassed. But I finally said, fuck it like a week ago and I bought it on Amazon and now it's sitting on my shelf. So yeah, the room so bad. Um, Jess, do we want to, like, briefly just, like, tell people kind of, like, I guess the story, like, what The Room is about? Yeah. If I we mean, can figure out how This to- movie, if you're talking to someone who hasn't seen it, it is almost impossible to describe, or at least describe in a way that, like, really serves it justice. So, okay, so the story is about a guy named Johnny whose fiance Lisa... Played by Tommy Wiseau. So, yes, Johnny is... Tommy is Johnny. Uh, Johnny's fiance Lisa is a real psycho. Future wife. Future wife. I'm sorry. Future That's wife. right. They Not never fiance. say fiance. They always say future <laughs> husband, future wife, which is another part of the craziness. But whatever. Um, future wife Lisa <laughs> sleeps with his best friend Mark, who's played by Greg Sesatiro, who wrote the book The Disaster Artist, and he was really hands-on and, like, just just making this happen or at least trying to as best as he could. Um, so that's, like, the main drama, I guess. They're, like, what should be, like, the main story. It kind of is sometimes. It mostly is. But then there's, like, random characters that's, like, in Johnny and Lisa's lives that, like, have their own drama that, like, never actually, like, fit into the story in any way, but, like, are just kind of, like, chunked into the movie. Like, there's this uh, guy named Denny whose, like, age isn't really established. He could be a teenager. He could be in his 20s. He's... I think they're... He could be mentally challenged. He is supposed to be. I heard heard (laughs) that he was actually supposed to be mentally challenged. At least Tommy says that. Um, But, you know, everyone in that movie talks like they're mentally challenged, so you can't really tell... But, like, Denny is this kid who's, I think, their, like, neighbor or, like, he just hangs around their apartment a lot. And, like, he's got a drug problem that, like, they just randomly throw in there. And then, like, uh, like for instance, like, my favorite storyline is Lisa's mom comes to visit her and just randomly <laughs> just says, you well, mean, I definitely uh, a, have cancer. Um, so she just, like, tells us, and her daughter, like, she for sure got the test results back. She's got breast cancer. And that's it. Like, that's the, that's the drama. That's it. And then, like, there's, there's other people, like, in the cast who, like, aren't as memorable as, like, those three main characters. But, like, they have their own drama that's just sort of, like, first of all, it doesn't feel like real human drama. But it's just, like, forced into the movie. And it just never yeah, it works. doesn't. <laughs> yeah, like one of the biggest things about like we said like is that the writing it just doesn't make sense. So the fact that you said Lisa's mom Claudette or whatever brings up having breast cancer and then they never cover never. it again. Like they never they never come back to it. And there's so many storylines and side characters that they just have no place 
in the room. Like, it, like if I like was really trying to like critique the script, I'd just be like, "What the fuck? Are, what is this? Like, this feels like the first draft of like someone." Um, who you know wrote a a movie idea that they had, and they had a bunch of other random ideas, and they just threw it in, and it's just like, I don't know, it's this hodgepodge of like situations that, and the other thing is like Tommy Wiseau really thought that this would be a play at first, and then he decided to do a movie, and he the thing that's so funny. And, like, what's kind of involved in, like, the behind the scenes is, like, he wanted this to be the next, like, Tennessee Williams drama, like, the next, like, Streetcar Named Desire, like, a just a hardcore, like, heartbreaking, tragic tale that, like, would get him the Oscar and, like, put him on the map as, like, a fantastic actor. But it's so bad that, like, everyone laughs at it. And now he, years later, changed the marketing to, like, a black comedy. And it's just like, no, you can't. (laughs) Tommy, you can't just say it's a dark comedy now. Uh, But, like, that's how crazy this guy is. He's just, oh, it was always supposed to be funny. It's like, no, it wasn't. Like, you you said Tennessee Williams, like, numerous times, like, to Greg and, and, ah. So... I, I don't even want to cover more of the plot of the room because it just people are probably like this doesn't make any sense and that's exactly what it, like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it really doesn't. Like it, I said, you can't describe it, really it because it it's almost impossible because the thing itself doesn't make sense. <laughs> like just the main thing, the main little through line is that like Johnny, because like <laughs> Tommy wrote this character is that like Johnny is like the greatest human being in the history. Like, he supports his future wife. He supports this neighbor, Denny. He's a great friend. He's, like, successful banker. You know, like he's got all these things going for him. But for zero reason, his future wife decides to cheat on him with his best friend. And, you know, drama ensues. And so, yeah, like, it's just... Yeah, we can't even really describe the plot you just need to watch it. Or you can need to just see clips online of the famous scenes like, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. And the, you know, now James Franco parodied in one of the trailers for Disaster Artist. They're just like, it's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. You know? <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. You know, like, it just... Like, the dialogue it doesn't is make so sense. robotic. Like, it doesn't feel like anything any human would ever say. And that's what makes it so great and so quotable. Because it just doesn't, like, who talks like that? No one ever talks like that. It's great. (laughs) Exactly. Well, like, even, okay, so, like, now let's kind of start transitioning into, like, the behind the scenes of the room. Um, Like, for example, like, the the character that plays Johnny's best friend, Mark, (laughs) like... Tommy Wiseau literally named the character Mark because he's like, he'll be Mark, like Mark Damon, (laughs) as in Matt Damon. But, like, he just, he didn't know the name correctly. You know, (laughs) like, there's just so many things like that that either leads me to believe that, like, Tommy Wiseau is either the biggest troll in the world or, like, mentally challenged in some capacity, an alien or, well, you know, like, like there are so many There's such a theories. mystery behind this dude. Like, no one, even the people that are closest to him, like Greg Sesotero, like, they don't know, like, which is the thing they, they stress, like, in The Disaster Artist, so this is not a spoiler. They don't know, like, where he's from, how old he is, 
or like even how he got so much money to make this movie. Like no one, there's yeah. so much mystery. Rumored six million dollars to make the room, which is so funny because when you see the movie, you're like, they spent six million dollars on this, not six thousand, not six hundred dollars, like it looks, but six million dollars. Um, and now you see nowadays with people with their phones, like what they can make with zero budget. And so it just shows you like, what the fuck did he do with 6 million? But yeah. So, um, uh, have you read the disaster artist? Jess? Yeah, I did. And I absolutely loved it. I would say like anyone who's in the film industry or have an interest in film should read it. Even if you're not a book reader, it's first of all, a really easy read. You can knock it out easily. And it's so funny. Like, when I'm reading, it's so cerebral that I very rarely, like, laugh out loud, but that book had me dying. Um, and it's just the the madness that went on on that set. Like, even though the Disaster Artist movie itself is amazing, there's so much they could not cram it into that movie. There's way more details yes. in the book just because that's how it is. And there's so many things that, like, the Disaster Artist movie had to, like, kind of leave out or not focus on too much that are crazy in the book. So the book's amazing. I would suggest it for anyone. I think it's an amazing book. Um, I think that the one thing that, like, the movie didn't really focus on, but the book did, was that there was, like, actually revolving crew members. So I think, like, you could, honestly, you could, like, once you know the backstory of, like, the room, you could see why he just spent $6 million because he was essentially just, like, throwing his money at whatever he could, um, which included two cameras that he bought. He didn't rent any of the equipment. He bought it all. And he this is insane. He and, and no one has done this. He bought an HD camera and a film camera and hooked the cameras up together. So first of all, the shots are like always a little off kilter because they were like two cameras <laughs> on it. Um, yeah, because they had to take account the both yeah, cameras. Yeah, so like there's two cameras, which is insane. Um, the director of photography changed like three times throughout the whole process. Um, it started off like they had their DP and then they had someone filming like videography footage for behind the scenes. The first DP quit, and so Tommy just hired their, like, behind-the-scenes guy just to be the DP. And then I think he quit, and I think they went through three DPs, which is insane. Um, Yeah. Also, I just found this out the other day, actually. The book didn't really talk about this too much, but did you know that every character had two people cast? Except for Johnny, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I remember hearing interviews about that from Greg. So, yeah, let me just say a quick little thing um, that Greg – so Greg – see, you say it a little different. I've been saying Greg Sestero. Um, Greg, he played Mark, you know, in the film, and, like, he was also friends with uh, Johnny, friends with Tommy in real life. And um, basically what happened was 2003, the movie came out and tanked at the box office. Like it it made $1,800 in the couple weeks it was out. So like made next to no money. And basically what happened 
was eventually it became like this cult film that like people started seeing at midnight screenings. Like a bunch of college kids went and like said, this is hilarious. You got to see it. And now like it's been screening at midnight screenings all over the world ever since 2003. So 14 years later. So basically what happened was in 2011, Greg Sistero, you know, after this kind of like killed his career in a way for the longest time, like he didn't really act in anything else. He, um, I don't know if he quit acting or what, but like, I think he was just known as one of the guys involved in the room. So he wrote a book called The Disaster Artist, which the movie by James Franco is based off of. So yeah, like we'll, we'll be talking about some of the behind the scenes in the book, um, and also like Jess just said some stuff we learned off, uh, you know, out of the book. Tommy, like a play, hired like pretty much like backup actors and understudies for like all of the characters, even though like they didn't really have to be there because he he didn't really end up having to use any of the backups. But like there were so many mishaps, and the main thing that this all attributes to is that Tommy Wiseau had zero film experience. Zero. Like he had not acted in anything, he had not directed anything, he had not produced anything, he had not written anything. So a lot of the stuff that was being fucked up on set was because he had no experience, but he had the money of someone who had been doing this for a while. And I think that was something that kind of started unraveling on set is everyone's just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? So things like having understudies, like that's not a thing that film actor, why would you spend money on that? And so then even one thing that's in the room is like, there's this one character, Peter, who's like a psychologist friend of the Johnny character. That actor was like, hey, how long is this filming going to take? They're like, oh, just like two, three weeks or whatever. And he's like, okay, because like I have another gig, so I can't film past this. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Well, of course, they didn't finish. They ran over. Like Things took way too long because like Tommy didn't know how to plan and his acting was bad. He couldn't remember his lines. Tons of problems. Multiple DPs, as Jess said. And so in the movie, all of a sudden, Peter, the psychologist character is gone and then there's this other friend who like pretty much doesn't play the same character but has the same like he knows the same things that peter does like basically peter's the character that realizes mark and lisa's divorce and then this other guy comes in is like lisa i know about the i know about the affair or whatever and it's just like what who is this guy how does he know Like it just It's also like so <laughs> unheard of to have not only your backup cast but your main cast at every shoot day. That doesn't happen. You have your actors there when you're going to shoot with them. But like you said like they would have actors like that just sit there all day not acting, but they just have them there. And so of course that like that doesn't work for their schedules. Like they can't just be sitting on a set. But I think you're right in that, like, a lot of the issues are because Tommy was not experienced at all, but there was... Zero. Zero. (laughs) Zero, zero, zero. But also, he was not willing to learn. Like, he wasn't going to be listening to his AD or his DP and trying to, like, figure out the right way to do it. He was going to do whatever he wanted to do, which he clearly did. Um, so there, it wasn't like he had a learning curve to overcome. Like he just refused to learn. Like he didn't care, which is also wild yeah. because it's not only like a filmmaking issue, more as like a human interaction issue. Even just as quickly come back to the camera thing real quick. Like it, that may be like, oh, two cameras. What's the big deal? It's like, no, 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 no. 
It's so complicated because one shoots on old school film and one shoots on digital. So they're literally lit differently. He needed two crews, two full crews that he needed to pay for because one crew needed to light the film, one needed to light the digital. And the fact that, like you said, everyone rents. Like all the big studios, everyone, like Steven Spielberg, all these people, they don't own these expensive cameras. They rent it. But what does Tommy do? He buys both of them and all of the equipment. Like, <laughs> I don't even want to know how much that costs. Like, do you think that costs just like a million dollars in itself? Like, I have no idea how much that would even cost. I know. Like, you, I never look into buying equipment. It's always renting. I have no idea. But, like, it's just insane the things that money were spent on were so preventable. Like, you did not need to spend this much money. But, again, he... He just did what he wanted to do. Like it's, it's all I can say. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> or, or even like, and this is even in the disaster artist trailer, the fact that like at the, you know, production area, uh, production, uh, building they were filming at, opposed to shooting in like the actual alleyway outside, Tommy built an alleyway set. You know, and, like, there's, uh, there, I love in the trailer, it's perfectly timed. Seth and Rogan's like, why are we shooting at a fake alleyway when there's a real alleyway right there? And, you know, Tommy's just like, because it's a real Hollywood movie. <laughs> you know, like, he just. Like, that was his, like, no, kind no, no. of logic. Just like, yeah, we're going to do it this yeah. way. Also, yeah, they but would then shoot uh, outside with a green screen. Which the green screen <laughs> would be outside. Like, that's what they would put it in later is outside. So, like. That's like, why? Why would you? You don't need the well, green screen. Why not just film outside? Just film outside. You're, <laughs> like they had a roof. <laughs> you are outside. They had a roof. <laughs> <laughs> just film it how it is. Yeah, like it just, it just doesn't make sense. There are so many things like this. So like a couple other stories from the behind the scenes, and a lot of this is in the Disaster Artist. And like Jess says, I really recommend it. I don't read books, but I listen to the audio book and. The real treat of the audiobook, which did you listen to the audiobook? I didn't, Jess? but I heard it's a good audiobook. So it's a good audiobook because the author, well, co author Greg reads it and he does a killer Tommy impression. So anytime there's a scene where it's him and Tommy, he does the Tommy oh my voice. Gosh. <laughs> which, in case you couldn't tell from my, you know, like little impression I did earlier, Tommy has an accent that like no one knows where it's from. And, like, he just says these little phrases, like, oh, no, none of this Mickey Mouse stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, what does that what does that mean? You, you know, like, he keep your, keep your comments in your pocket. <laughs> you know, like, he, and, like, he would always, oh, I'm from New Orleans. And, like, he, like, Jess brought up earlier, like, there was three main questions that even James Franco was always asking. It's like, how old is he? Because he always said, oh, I'm your age. I'm in your, I'm in 20s. <laughs> it's like, no, you're fucking not. Like, look at you. Like, everyone says he looks like Dracula or, like, vampire. You know, he just is so old looking. And they don't know where he's from. He says, oh, from New Orleans. I w- lived in France or whatever. It's like, none of these accents sound like you're from the bayou <laughs> or you're from France. Where is this from? And then the fact that where the fuck did he get $6 million And this is covered in the movie, but there's even a section where... So Greg meets Tommy in San Francisco. And he's like, yeah, you can come stay at my apartment or whatever. And so he reveals to Greg that not only does he have an apartment in San Francisco, he has an apartment in L.A. Which, like... (laughs) 
How can he afford that? What does he like, do? It, I don't understand. As far as Greg knows, like he has no idea what this guy does because Tommy's always like, "Don't tell anyone about me." You know, no, no, nothing. You don't tell him anything. And so it's just, he's this weird enigma of a guy that, um, like, there's been rumors over the years that something like he used to sell jackets to Korea. I heard or, that one. Like, I, heard, I, I also heard that he had an ESL teacher who supposedly funded his lifestyle and, like, gave him a ton of money, and she's credited as a producer on the room. So, like, maybe. But, yeah, we don't know. There's only theories of how it could possibly be. And it's so funny because as much of him that he's an anomaly his work is also equally an anomaly like none of it makes any sense and it leaves you with a ton of questions but you're also so fascinated by it all yeah and like he just uh he with his look so like if you don't know what this man looks like he has like long dark black hair that's like he you know clearly dies and like he's kind of got like these wrinkles and this like one eye is a little bit more open than the other, and, like, he just has this... He's always wearing sunglasses, even at night. He has this weird wardrobe choice, like, choices, and all these things. <laughs> and, um... He's just such an odd guy that, uh... You wonder where this money came from, and he never wanted to play a villain. Like, everyone said, like, you can play Dracula. You could, you, you would be such a good villain in movies. Like, here's how you can be famous like you want. He's like, no, I'm American hero. <laughs> you, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just like, no, you're not. Like, Greg, and, like, that's where it's, like, some jealousy kind of comes in, is, like, Greg looks like the most stereotypical Abercrombie model. Like, uh, okay, Jess, like, would you say... Like, Greg is an attractive guy, like... Yeah, I mean... Like, he kind of has, yeah. like, that every guy, you know, like, look... Yeah, he's that, got that, that all-American kind of, like, Amber Crombie vibe to him. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's what Tommy wants, or that's <laughs> what, like, Tommy sees himself as, and he's the opposite. One other story that, like, is one of my favorites is... And this is covered in The Disaster Artist as well. Not to, like, spoil The Disaster Artist, but, like, the book's been out for a while, so, like, a lot of these stories you could have heard of... But the actress who played Lisa's mom, she's, you know, an older woman, and they were filming inside, and it was really hot. And so Tommy didn't give the cast and crew water, and so the one day she fainted. And everyone's like, you got to get water. And he's like, in Hollywood, they don't give you water. <laughs> it's just like, That's not true. What? There are so what many sad li- guidelines against that. They legally have to give you water. Yeah. <laughs> like- Exactly. (laughs) Like, he acts like it's just like, oh, you're being a baby, you know, and like it, oh, she's just old, you know. (laughs) Like, so stories like that, and the fact that the infamous scene that's now in the James Franco disaster artist trailer, you know, I did not hit her. It's bullshit. (laughs) I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Like, that whole scene took, like, what? Was it, like, 70 takes? Like, 80 takes? Yeah, it's a really outrageous number. An absurd amount of takes. And the reason why it's so funny is because Tommy wrote the lines. Tommy's the director. And then he's the actor in the scene, and he doesn't know his lines. (laughs) Like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. So when he finally... (laughs) So... 
when he finally gets it, he does it with like the worst emotion, like least amount of emotion behind it. And like it's so stale and just like just terrible acting. And they're like, fuck it, we're moving on because like this took like 70 takes. This is the only take where like he said the lines correctly. Which was <laughs> so like, let's just it move feels on. like the attitude of the room throughout where it was like, you know what, we got something, whatever, let's just keep going. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, as far as you know, like we mentioned that there are some behind the scenes stuff that they don't cover in the Disaster Artist. Are there some other ones that really stuck out to you in the book that you want to? Uh, talk about yeah I mean like I think that the movie does a really good job of portraying Greg uh, for being in this whole thing with him but I don't think the movie focused on like all the like figurative fires Greg was putting out because Greg was like first of all the line producer which like he didn't even actually know what, like, a line producer was supposed to do, and then he was cast. Like, he was... So, like, that's a whole mess for him, too. But, like, um, like Greg has said in interviews before that, like, he also sort of worked as, like, a Tommy Whisperer where, like, and a communicator where, like, people, like, everyone would come up to him and be like, what is happening? I don't know. Like, he would have to be the go-between and, like, really, like, work with everyone. And, like... He's even said, like, he would be, like, ordering pizzas for the whole crew and then, like, trying to figure out what they're doing for this location and what the next shot is. Oh, but now he's got lines. He doesn't know what his lines are. So I think, like, they did a really good job of portraying Greg, but I think I would have liked to see more about, like, him actually, like, freaking out. Which just reminded me. So, like, I remember from the book that, like, Greg didn't want to be in this movie, but I forgot... Wasn't someone else hired for Mark? Yeah, yeah, someone else and was then, hired. And then, like, they had they had even filmed, like, a scene? No, the I think the actor quit, like, the day before. It was, like... Well, no, I don't think he quit. I think Tommy... Because, no, I think I remember, like, Greg describing the book how uncomfortable he was. It was something like, and I could be wrong. Like, bear in mind, folks, I know that some people may be listening. They read the book. But, like, it, it's been a good six months, eight months since I've listen to the audiobook, but I'm pretty sure, like, 75, 80% sure that he hired someone else to play Mark, and then, like, maybe they hadn't filmed a scene, but, like, the actor was all ready and was kind of, you know, plump, pumped to be one of the lead roles, and then Tommy kept persistently con- trying to convince Greg, this pot was written for you, Greg, and, like, even, like, kind of bribed him by buying Greg a car um, because Greg, like, had a shitty car that was, like, over 10 years old that kept breaking down, and, like, Tommy knew, and that's where it's, like, kind of manipulative. Like, Tommy knew that Greg was, you know, strapped for money, so he was going to pay him a lot of money, and he was going to buy him a car, which, like, that's very... Stepping over some lines as a friend um, to, like, kind of manipulate your friend knowing that they're strapped for cash. And then I remember, like, Greg talking about there's a scene where... I think they were going to film a Mark scene and the other actor was there and he's like, okay, now let's try with, with Greg. And like, he put (laughs) Greg in there and then like the other, and then like they filmed, he's like, okay, we'll keep that. And the other actor was kind of like, what, what the fuck's going on? Like, I thought I was Mark. And then like Tommy eventually and Greg had to, like, they had to fire him. Um, because, like, they had to reveal, like, oh, I'm playing Mark or whatever, and the other guy was like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) 
I remember something like that. Like Greg was so uncomfortable because he was like on set, like Tommy, like you didn't tell so and so that they were fired. Oh no, worry. You yeah, know, you know? like I, I think like, that, that might have been what happened. I, I do remember something like that, but like there were so many moments like that where Greg was put into really, really awkward situations and just had to like handle it and not piss anyone off and like. There were a lot of times like that. And so it could just be like the movie had a challenge of like fitting everything in and maybe some things like that weren't as cinematic. I don't know. But I definitely would have liked to see more of like Greg as line producer because I feel like the movie focused on like Greg as actor and as friend, but not so much as like all that he did to just try to make the ship not sink pretty much. I agree. I agree. I think because right now, like the well, not right now. The disaster artist is about like an hour forty minutes, hour forty five, and I definitely think that they could have pushed this to like a two hour movie, maybe not much longer. Like it didn't need to be more scenes of like them on set filming the room. Like it just needed to be more of like you said, like these these interactions between Tommy and Greg, where Tommy was really manipulating Greg and like was jealous of like that he had this girlfriend and you know, jealous of his looks and that like Greg also had gotten some like other work, um, just like small little TV roles or whatever. And Tommy was jealous that like he couldn't get an agent. So that's like the only thing that, and that's only because we've read the book, but like if this movie was just like a movie, like we wouldn't, you know, like we wouldn't really know these other stories, but that's like the only thing I could think of that I was, uh, you know, could have added to the film was like there's so much more, but like now let's like let's let's uh, are there other behind the scenes stuff you want to cover before we just transition into fully like let's just talk about the disaster artist the well, movie. Well, one thing, this is not so much behind the scenes of the movie itself, but like one thing that's also such an anomaly is like this movie got such a big cult following like, before the days of streaming. And it's still super popular, but it's not on any streaming services. Like, you can't find it. On yeah. any, like, it's not even on Amazon Prime or Amazon Video to rent. Like, you can't find it on streaming. So it's kind of unbelievable that, like, this movie withstood the test of time through literally, like, just DVDs and theatrical screenings. Like, that's actually really insane. Yeah. Exactly. Like I, cause I think I even, maybe I even asked you back when you were telling me about it, like, is it on Netflix? And you're like, no, the fact that, like you said, it wasn't streaming anywhere. You couldn't like stumble upon it. Like you had to either buy it or someone had to bring it to you, show it, or you had to go to a midnight showing. And like, it was also funny because all these celebrities came across it. Like I remember like there's this interview on like, like Ellen or something where like Kristen Stewart was talking or wait, no, not Kristen Stewart. Uh, Kristen Bell was talking about how much she loved it. And like Brian Cranston came out and said how much she loved it. And pretty soon there's all these celebrities. And like, that's what they opened with in disaster artists is like that all these celebrities like Kevin Smith, Jordan Peele, Lizzie Kaplan, Judd Apatow or JJ uh, Abrams, like all these people saying like this movie is like fascinating. Yeah. I, I thought that <laughs> was such a genius way to open too, because it, even if you watched the room or you, you were watching the disaster artist, but haven't seen the room, you have these figures, these celebrities vouching for it. Like, yeah, it's, it's great. It's crazy. Like, like you start, like the movie, yeah. the disaster artist starts, starts off with like firsthand accounts of people, you know, and liked telling you about like this movie. And I thought that was such a genius way to like introduce it. 
Yeah. And like one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Adam Scott, uh, who he says, you know, this movie didn't just get like cult status for a little bit, but it's like sustained and grown for the better part of like 10 to 15 years. And he's like, there are movies that were nominated for best picture 10 to 15 years ago that like we forgot like within that year, like, you know, like how many people like are still talking about Slumdog Millionaire are still talking about, uh, you know, Spotlight or like all, you know, like all these movies that like they're great movies, but like they just kind of like fall under this thing. Whereas like The Room considered the Citizen Kane of bad movies, um, people just want to see it and then people rewatch it. You know, like how many times have you seen The Room? Ooh. Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, you're right. Like, I couldn't... I don't know what won that year for Best Picture. Was it Slumdog? I don't even know. Like, I don't know... Wait, which year? 2003? Yeah, the year The Room came out. I don't know it won Best Picture. I believe Mystic... Oh, 2003... Well, it depends on when you consider 2003 the 2003 in movies or the 2003 Oscars. So it was either Return of the King or Mystic... Mystic River or something like that. Or no, Return of the King, I think it was. So I could tell you right so, now, I have not rewatched Return of the King since it was in theaters. <laughs> I've seen Mystic River like once or twice since it came out. Like The Room, I yeah. can't even tell you how many times I've watched it. So like, there you go. Like, it's just its own special thing. <laughs> Which like, I, I'm sure there's some Lord of the Rings fans that just got oh, so upset. Oh, I know. But that's okay. I'll win you over to Star Wars. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's a it's a good, you know, it's just a fun movie to put on with friends because, like, it's not really, like, there's so many different dynamics of friends when watching a movie. Like, I've watched movies with friends where we're all, like, everyone shut the fuck up. We're watching this movie. I want to hear it. But, like, The Room is the one you can talk during. You can just laugh. Like, we, like, when... When we did this uh, this room party at Jerry's house, it was a great mixture of half the room had seen it and half of the, the room. <laughs> half of the people at the party had seen it and half of, had never seen it before. So it was this great mixture. And, like, we were all just, like, cracking jokes at all these things. Um, <laughs> like, okay, sorry. One, one of my favorite parts in the, in the movie that I have to bring up now is that uh, there's a part where Lisa, the future wife of Johnny, starts telling her mother that Johnny hit her. And, like, okay. Which, like, her character made up. He never hit her. I did not. <laughs> like, he never hit her. Um, and you're never, be- you're never made to believe that that's true. Like, she's just supposed to be this maniacal bitch, basically. But she tells her mother that her future husband hit her and her uh, mother says yeah but Johnny doesn't drink you know (laughs) like she defends Johnny like cause she's like yeah he didn't get the promotion he drank and he hit me and she goes but Johnny doesn't drink (laughs) so it's like wait if you told your mother that a man hit you would the first thing your mother be like yeah but I don't believe that the guy that guy did that oh god no God, no. Oh, no, 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 no. But yeah, like, that's, again, goes back to, like, none of it makes any sense. People don't talk that way. Like, what is happening? 
Ah, but it's so great. Yeah. It's, it's so great. Or, or the fact that, like, when she tells her daughter that she has breast cancer and she's just like, you're going to be fine. Yeah, she's, like, <laughs> over it, Mom. Like, let's talk about my problems. You'll be fine. No, and yeah. the whole reason the whole reason why uh, she says it is because the mom is like, I'm dying. And she's like, no, you're not, Mom. And she's like, well, I got the test results back. I definitely have cancer. Like, that's why she tells her yeah. she's got cancer. What? Also, all of that could have been a phone call. Why are they even together? None of it makes any sense. And, like, there's so many just little things that, like, you're first watching you don't notice. But, like, all of the movie is, like, filled with people entering and then exiting. Like, like every time that the mom's there, just like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> you know, like, whereas the movie, like, most movies would just cut to the next scene. Or, like, like Denny, there's this one scene where Denny's just like, Oh, hey, Lisa. You know, she's like, oh, hey, Denny. And it's just like, is Johnny here? No, he's not here. Okay, I'll see you. And then, like, he just leaves. And it's just like, what was the point of that? So we could go on and on about examples of how this doesn't make sense. But let's let's get to the movie that very well could be nominated for Oscars. And at the day we're recording it, was nominated for some Golden Globes. Um, the Disaster Artist. The adaptation of Greg's book that is directed by... James Franco, starring James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, starring Dave Franco as Greg and Seth Rogen, Paul Shear, and tons of other people, tons of cameos. Um, so, Jess, first impressions when you saw The Disaster Artist? Franco better win the Oscar. <laughs> that full stop. He should, he's gotta win. Like, his. Tommy is so amazing and it's so on point that like you kind of forget that Tommy's a real person. Like you it it feels like Franco has like made up this character because he's so into this character. He's so believable as this character. And it like no spoiler, but at the very end when the movie's all said and done, they show Uh, original clips of the room side by side with the recreation from the disaster artist and it wasn't until that that came up that i i just it just hit me that yeah franco got it right this is not just like franco being franco or franco being an actor like he (laughs) is that character he is this person and this is a real guy and this is really how he acts so i just think franco did such an amazing job of one being Tommy, which is hard to do because Tommy's very complex and very mysterious, but two, also making Tommy likable. Because I I think if any other actor had played that role, I don't know if Tommy would have been as likable, but Franco did it in such a way that, like, you saw this larger-than-life person who was weird and, like, kind of mean and rude, but, like, you also kind of liked him, you know? Like, and I I think that he did such a great job of that. So I... Franco's got to win. Franco's got to win that Oscar. If he doesn't, I, you know what? We just can't have nice things, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people are thinking it's going to Gary Oldman. But uh, that aside. Who's um, not dead? If you guys remember that, that I have that weird thing. (laughs) He's alive. So. (laughs) He's not Alan Rickman. He's not Alan Rickman. So. So. Remember, uh, <laughs> the guy from Die Hard died, <laughs> but the villain from Air Force One and, uh, y- you know, um, not Severus Snape, but 
you know, see, Sirius you Black, just did it too. Are you, see, you think sever- whatever it's an issue, but yes, you're right. The guy so from anyway, Air Force One anyway. is still flying high alive. There you go. That's all I remember. So, <laughs> so what I agree with you, and was my favorite part is like okay. We've just spent like the last hour telling you about how bad the room is and how crazy Tommy Wiseau is in real life. They could have easily, very easily went the direction of let's just make a movie where we make fun of the room. Like, let's just recreate the scenes and let's just, you know, just make fun of how ridiculous a human being this is, how terrible this movie is, how weird the behind-the-scenes stuff is. Let's just make fun of it. They could have went that route. They didn't. The writers and James Franco directing, they went the route of heart in this story, which is weird because it's still a hilarious movie. But like you said, we feel for Tommy. There's a scene, and you'll you all know it, or maybe even a couple scenes where... Sure, you see him as a complete dick the scene before, but then all of a sudden you see, oh, he's a human. Like, he's weird and off-putting and sometimes an asshole, but he has feelings. Like, he's not a robot that we know of. And and he... (laughs) There's especially a scene towards the end and maybe it just hit me in a certain way because I, like yourself, want to get into this business in some sense, whether it's movies, TV, more theater work, whatever, entertainment in general. And where, you know, he really put himself out there, even though the movie sucks. Uh, he wanted this to be drama. And I guarantee a lot of the stuff in this movie is autobiographical. It is stuff that happened to him that he's putting out onto the page and bearing his soul. And then people are laughing at him. And I like not to spoil it. I mean, I mean this is all public record. Like we're not it's all Yeah, it's all, public right? record, but <laughs> in the movie it's just a scene where, you know, he's like they're laughing at me and like he's just so upset. And it just made me feel, as a filmmaker, because every time I show someone, whether it's a script or a video I made or, like, when I eventually did my play, I'm worried that they're going to laugh at me. Not with me, not at my specific jokes that are supposed to make people laugh, but just laugh at me. Like, that this sucks. This is terrible. And, like, that happened to him. And I just was like, oh, my God. Like, that is heartbreaking. (laughs) I feel for this guy. And... You forget that this isn't just a caricature character that James Franco created for a movie. This is a human. That This is a human that James, like, now is, like, on all the talk shows with and ha- s- s- talked so much about the movie with and his life and got the accent down and all these things that it was just so great to see that they didn't go the easy route of, like, let's just make fun of the room. Yeah. No, they were took it seriously. And I believe there was even an interview where they said the real-life events are so crazy and hilarious and dramatic and all these things, we're just going to play it straight. Like, we're going to do exactly what happened because that's cinematic enough. Mm-hmm. Which you can <laughs> like, tell, sure. like, having read the book, like, you know, like, that's what they did. They 
played it in a way that was just straight, but the humor was in those moments. And one thing I think that's really important to note, which makes me so happy, is that Tommy loves it. Tommy loves the disaster yeah. artist. He's so here for it. He loves what Franco did. And that's so cool because I feel like whenever you do like a, a movie about like a, a subject that's alive, it could be touch and go as to whether or not they like it or if they're okay with their portrayal. Like Tommy is fully in on it. He loves it. And that that makes me happy too. Like you're right. Like if they went the route of making fun of him, maybe he wouldn't. Did you see his cameo? I didn't. I did not. I did not. I did it's not after hear. credits. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that there was an after credits thing I left before. I'm so mad. Yeah, so the first time I saw it, I didn't know it was there either. I thought they just cut it from the movie because I heard he, he contractually obligated that if you're going to do a movie about me, I have to have of a cameo. Course. Of course. <laughs> So then I started hearing the behind the scenes of like James Franco talking about this experience about just trying to figure out his cameo. <laughs> so the second time I saw it, I stayed after credits, and I'm pretty sure I was one of the only people in the theater that did it because everyone's probably like, "This isn't a Marvel movie," like, <laughs> and I was just like, "No, I know, right?" And That's why I left. There's this scene. Basically, Tommy Wiseau wanted to do a scene. With James Franco, and they're like, we can't do that, Tommy, because he's playing you. Like, it'll just look like you talking to you. Like, it just won't make sense. It's like, no, 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 I'll play a different character. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll put on a mustache and, and tie my hair back. My character's named Henry. And, <laughs> and so James Franco was telling in this interview about how Tommy kept sending him pictures of, like, he's like, I could tell he was at the glasses store picking out glasses to wear do, do you think Henry would wear this you know like <laughs> and he was and then Tommy even said um how long a scene have to be so I could possibly be nominated for Oscar oh my goodness <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> and they literally were saying Tommy you could be in a scene with almost any of the other characters just not James no I want to be with James you know <laughs> just <laughs> like this guy, this just guy. another, just, just another layer to like this insanity and a brief thing real quick before we, you know, talk maybe about a couple more things with the disaster artist is there was actually a documentary that was supposed to come out this summer called room full of spoons. Did you see the trailer for no, this? No, I didn't, but you told me about it and I really wanted to see it. Yeah. So like maybe I'll put a trailer, uh, the, the link to the trailer and the bio, but basically these three young guys who just became so fascinated with the room, they wanted to do a behind the, like a documentary about it, and they wanted to learn about Tommy. They wanted to find the answers to all these mysterious questions, and they wanted to just talk about how it just became this cultural phenomenon. Well, Tommy is well known for anytime people try to get a hold of the rights or this is this that he sues. So he sued them, I think claiming like defamation or something or whatever. He There was some sort of lawsuit, and basically the, the doc got put on hold. It was supposed to, I ordered it back in like April. It was supposed to come out in July, and it never did. And just recently I got an email that the, you know, the case got dropped and that the filmmakers are going to be allowed to release the documentary. So I'm hoping in the next handful of weeks that it's going to come out. And it's just so funny that 
this, they probably told him about this documentary before they made it, and I think he agreed to it, but then he's like, no, no, there's too much personal information. <laughs> I don't want nobody to see it. Um, so another layer. Like, there's just so many. Like, there continues to be layers. And I think it's just funny, and, like, we could talk maybe a little bit more about the disaster artist, but we don't want to just tell everyone the whole movie, is that this ultimate turnaround of... 2003, this movie is so bad, it's called The Citizen Kane of Bad Movies, that it starts slowly gaining followers. 2011, there's a book called The Disaster Artist, and then 2017, there's a movie called The Disaster Artist, and it goes from literally like the worst movie to The Disaster Artist is fantastic and is in awards contention. So it it literally went from worst movie of all time to possibly being nominated for Oscars and maybe even best picture. Like, what a turnaround. I know. The life (laughs) of this project is unreal, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon, and I don't think there will ever be anything like it. I really don't. Because, like you said, like the whole journey of the movie itself to where we're at now with the cult of the movie and now the movie based on the movie, like, it's, it's... it's crazy, and I don't think there's ever going to be a movie like this. I just don't think it's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, especially uh, with the way that the following of this movie created and, like, theaters and DVDs and people just, like, getting together and watching it, I don't see that happening any other time. I don't, but yeah. who knows? I've been wrong before. I'm not really in the prediction business anymore. Um, but one thing I would like to say as a book reader and uh, movie watcher uh, you know, very rarely do I leave a movie that's based on a book feeling like, okay, they did it. Like, they adapted it. This is one of those rare occasions where, as a book reader, I walked away very satisfied. I thought that they nailed it. They nailed what was in my head when I was reading it, you know. And, the, of course, it's because that's based on true accounts, but they they just did it so right. And you're right, with so much heart to it, too, that I was so in love with it. Um, but one thing that I really, really liked was the book alternates chapters. So every other chapter is about the making of the room. And then the other chapters are about like the bromance between Greg and Tommy and their friendship over the years. And I, I think that that's kind of hard to, as in a movie, get equal parts, right? Like it's, it's hard to get the friendship and the movie, but I think they did a really good job of, of showing us their friendship and, like, showing us the development of their friendship and how it carried on. Like, I thought they actually nailed that really, really well. Um, So, yeah, I was really satisfied by that because I think the friendship is just as important as the making of because, I don't know, like, when you're a creative, like, you depend on your friends to kind of help push you or at least inspire you or, like, give you notes. And so, like, I think that's something a lot of us could relate to is, like, our friends, whether or not you always agree with them, they do impact your journey. And that was very much what was going on with this. Yes. Uh, And that's really what the story is about is this friendship. And when you read the book, it is very toxic. Like, it's very strange. There's an age difference and... Tommy kind of manipulates Greg in certain points and just, but they both believe in this dream and they both want to pursue acting and pursue being in the movies. We're going in this industry. I think it really hits home. And I, I don't know. I, I think it works so well, like you said, because it follows the book so accurately, but sure. 
it takes some creative liberties and like a few things here and there. Like that's fine, but like nothing that is upsetting. Um, I, I I've heard some people that kind of nitpick it. Like they like, oh, it didn't have this. It didn't have this. It's like, well, they couldn't put everything in there because the main thing was this wasn't just for room fans. This is a movie. I even brought someone to the movie who hadn't seen The Room, and she still enjoyed Disaster Artist. And that's what they had to go for. They had to make a movie that was faithful to the fans, but also enjoyable for general audiences that have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And so I think they blended that perfectly. And, like, there's been very few years... uh, very few movies this year. Um, and there, this has been a great year for movies, but there's been like, I always like, oh, I would have changed this, I would have done this, but like, I can't think of many things I would have changed with the Disaster Artist. Like, sure, I would have wanted more, but that's just because I loved it. But like, is that also like a good thing, leaving the me wanting more opposed to you know it being too much? And I'm like, oh, that was bloated. So. I really think people should see The Disaster Artist not only for James Franco's performance, but the direction, the writing. Um, you know, there's f- tons of fun cameos. I think Dave Franco does a good job, too. Um, yeah, I mean, for a movie that The Room got so many things wrong and The Disaster Artist got so many things right, it is literally polar opposites, like... Just everything hit on the head for a disaster artist. And it's a movie that I saw twice in theaters. I wouldn't mind seeing it again. From this point, where would this rank on like your list of the movies for 2017? Um, I mean, that's a hard question, though, because it's like asking to choose your favorite child. I don't have a child. I would imagine that would be hard, though, if you have... All parents got a favorite kid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, like, God, there were just so... I know, that's true. There were so many good ones, though, that, the like, the issue that I have is not like, oh, which one was great? It's like, fuck, they're all great. Oh, man. Um, based on just personal preference, the, the Disaster Artist is for sure in my top five. For sure. For this year. And definitely one of, like, the movies I've overall, like, all time enjoyed very, very much. I would say it's probably maybe, like, number three or number four. But that's just me. Yeah. That's just me. But you're you're so right, though, in that, like, you don't need to know a thing about The Room. You don't need to have read the book. You don't even know what the disaster artist is supposed to reference. You don't need to know anything. Never have had to be on a set. You don't even need to be near the film industry to... Thoroughly enjoy this movie. And I think they just nailed it. Like you said, they they captured the spirit of this insanity that people like us love. But then they've also done it in a way that, like, pe- anyone can enjoy it. Like, literally anyone. Um, like, I was watching it in the theater and looking around. And, like, I'm, I could guess, like, what people had seen the room and what people hadn't. Like, it was a mixture for sure. But I think they nailed it. And one other thing that I think that was actually really complicated, but they really nailed really well, and this might have been in the script writing, I don't know. But when I was reading the book, I kept asking myself, like, why would Greg stay? Like, why was Greg allowing these things to happen? (laughs) Like, what was he... Why? And so it was interesting because I can't like, give you a reason why. I couldn't tell you why he stayed. But I think the disaster artist did a really good way of addressing that. 
and humanizing the situation that it's sort of like a, a ode to friendship. And while you're asking, like, why is he staying? You're also sort of understanding it, right? Because you've been in those situations with friends that are complicated and icky, but, like, you can't just walk away from your friend. Like, you can't just abandon them. And that was sort of what the movie did. They, they Well, decent people don't. That's true. There are some <laughs> real assholes, and that's fine. You don't need them in your life anyway. It's cool. But, like, you know, like, it, it just was a really... Like, you, like, I did leave the movie actually understanding Greg, like, why he would be in that and why he would do that. But again, I couldn't, like, tell you why. It was, like, all just within the movie itself that, like, I walked away being like, you know what? Okay, maybe I would have stayed, too. All right, I kind of get it. Yeah, exactly. He... And that's where it was, like, there was kind of, like, some parts where, like, it was kind of manipulation in the sense that, like, Tommy's like, I'll give you an apartment, you know, I'll bring you to L.A., I'll write the... i do this whole movie for you, Greg. You know, like, he's, he, like, really guilts Greg, like, staying into this movie, but also then there's the side of Tommy that, like, I think Greg was some of the... one of the only ones to see the other side where... He, um, like, there's a part in the movie he talks about, like, he got in some sort of accident, and, like, it was a big eye-opening thing, and that's, like, one of those things that, like, unless you're a complete asshole or a psychopath, like, you don't make up something like that. So, like, that probably happened to Tommy Wiseau, that he was in some sort of life-threatening accident, and it really opened up his eyes to pursue his dream, and also just, like, we talked about that heartbreaking scene where people are laughing at him, and he, he tried really hard even though it was bad like he put his soul out there like art is very makes you put you in a very 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 vulnerable place and just to see these people like howling and laughing at him he just you know it's heartbreaking but also there's a great moment where greg is just like you you still did it like you made a movie like how many people say they want to write a movie how many people complain that they can do movies better or how many people try to make a movie and they don't finish it. They don't finish writing it. They don't finish editing it. They don't show it to anybody. But he did all those things. He, however he got that money, he spent that money. He got the people. He went through it. He followed through and he finished it. And, like, that should be something that should be commended in itself. Even though it's garbage. <laughs> it's just that it... It should be commended that like he put himself out there. And so that's why I like that moment um, with the two. And I think that's where Greg feels bad for him, but also like thinks he's weird. And I don't know, sees a little of himself in him. I don't know. Like it just that's what's so fascinating about this movie is like it examines this friendship that you see it. James Franco and Dave Franco, like, they're brothers and they're playing friends, but, like, with the makeup, you can't tell that that's James as much, and it just... You just watch this these two characters go through this journey of making this movie together and living together and pursuing their dream. It's just... I don't know. I had a feeling it would be good, but I just didn't expect it to be this good. Like, that's why I'm so happy with it, because... It could have been garbage. It could have just been another Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy with a bunch of dick jokes, you know, a stoner movie. And that's fine. Like, those are fine movies. I'm not saying that those movies are shit. But they could have very easily went the route of making this joke. They took it seriously. And now people, it's getting serious, like, positive response because of it. It's a, but no, I think just to wrap it up, um, 
it, <laughs> the journey of the room is insane from the movie itself to the production of it to the book to the cult following so this like we've said many times like the life of this movie is insane and it's an anomaly and it's crazy but it's also brought so many of us like a lot of joy which is really cool like yes it was a mess yes it's a disaster but so many people laughed from it and so many people had that awesome communal experience with their friends like you and I have where we just had a great time and that's really cool so for those of you listening thanks for sticking it through the, till the end but definitely go see the disaster artist and encourage those people who have no interest in the, the room or in the film business to see it because it's also really funny and it also is a really like uplifting story so I recommend it to literally anybody definitely and like that's why I think at the moment like I'm still torn but I think it could be my favorite movie of the year so far like it's I'm a, it's tied between like Big Sick and Logan, and you know, never know when Star Wars comes out. But it's just it's so much fun, and was really well done. So yeah, I encourage, and especially when nowadays where there's so many just big blockbuster movies. Like I say this all the time on the podcast, but this is a small movie that was made very cheap and with a lot of love. So like, go give this movie your money. You can always see Star Wars later. Like, nothing really good comes out in January anyway. While Disaster Artist is still in some theaters, give it a watch. And, um, like, real quick, too, this is an award season movie that I think literally anyone could enjoy. Because there's some that most yes. people are like, I would never watch that. This is a very different award season type of movie, for sure. Oh, and that's I think that's also why I like it, too, is because so many times awards movies... All they're nominating is stuff that are period pieces or biopics or musicals or just, like, dramas that are very, like, I'm sorry, like, I'm not bashing this movie, but, like, a movie like Call Me By Your Name or whatever, that just looks like, you know, like, this year's Moonlight that, like, no one's going to see except for, like, filmmakers or people who maybe read that book. I think it's based off a book. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's... Like, what we were talking about, movies that were nominated for Best Picture that no one pays attention to, but everyone is watching The Room. But, like, The Disaster Artist it has drama, has comedy, has heart. Like, it's based on a true story. So, like, that's why, like, I'm glad that it's getting awards praise because it's a fun movie. It's not just, like, this, oh, uh, biopic about this famous person years ago that they've done movies about before. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely unique in that just the story of the coming of this movie is is different, but it also just has its own unique vibe to it. So I want it to win all the awards. I want it to do really well at the Oscars, and I want everyone to see it because it is just a good, happy, feel-good movie, and I think we need more of those. Exactly. So let's close it out with the LOL of the week. Jess... What you got for us? So this is a reference to a movie that we both saw which is and loved. We both loved, uh, which is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So Paul Shear, who is also in The Disaster Artist, like you said, posted this amazing photo of... Uh, let me... I'll show it to you, Brandon. If you, Can you see it? So it's uh, Francis McDormand walking past the three billboards, <laughs> like the screenshot 
from the movie, but the three billboards are three billboards for the show Young Sheldon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, was, I died. I thought that was hilarious because, oh, my God. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, I will definitely be putting that on my social media. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> Christ. Um, <laughs> love Paul Scheer. Yeah. Um, oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Go see three billboards. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know that there's not movie posters on those billboards of the no, movie. No, there's nothing uh, fun much... about that movie. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's some dark comedy, but there's not there's not movie posters on those billboards. It's definitely there's not the same message. comedy as Young Sheldon. That's for sure. <laughs> definitely not. I've never seen Young Sheldon. I never will. But I could tell you it's very different from three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> Let's just say the truth. CBS is trash. Um, <laughs> I'll do a whole episode about that. How I, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll call us that one too. I'll join you for that. I agree. Yeah. Um, so my all of the week. There's this great. It's a little cartoon where there's a guy who's xing out um, all the days, uh, like in December, and someone's like, "Oh, are you counting down the days of Christmas?" He's like, "No, Star Wars." <laughs> 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 Which is so true. Like that's me, Jess. Where can they find you online and on the social medias? Well, they can find me on Instagram at Quasica and on Twitter at JustQuaz. You can find me on Twitter at The Pros, T-H-E-P-R-O-Z-E. That's also my Instagram. I don't really post on there as much, but in case you're interested in me posting photos of film sets for like entertainment buffet stuff or other... Um, stuff like that um you can follow entertain buffet at entertain buffet we're on facebook we have entertainmentbuffet.com of course our youtube page where everything started we have some new videos coming in the next couple months hopefully so stay tuned for those um and uh check out all of our other previous content some of which just has awesome cameos in and she produced hey. and um <laughs> so forth So check out those at Entertainment Buffet. And as always, we like to give a shout-out to a couple other podcasts real quick. Check out Movie Trailer Trash, hosted by Charlie and Bethany Duber on the iTunes. Um, Fun podcast. I've been on the podcast. They've been on this podcast. So give a listen to that one. I listen to it every week. And uh, also check out The Shelved Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Meyer, also a fun podcast that I've been lucky enough to be on, and we're going to hope to get Jeremy on uh, one of these days as well. So check out those. And, uh, yeah, as always, you hear on every podcast, I know it can get annoying, and I hope you're not turning me off at the moment, but please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or whatever iTunes platform you're listening to us on. If there's an easier way you can listen to the podcast, like we're not on a certain service or provider, let us know and we can do that. Um, just as long as it's free because we don't have a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> um, and just leave comments. Email us, entertainmentbuffet at gmail.com. Tweet at us. Like, what, what do you want to hear us talk about? Like, we know what we want to talk about, but we also want to talk about what you want us to talk about. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It made sense to me. Join the conversation. We yeah. want to hear from you. Yes, exactly. Well, as you've heard on previous episodes, if you leave us a review, we'll give you a shout out and we'll read it on the podcast. So please 
Did you watch The Disaster Artist? Have you seen The Room? What's your famous, what's your favorite room quote? There are so many. <laughs> Keep your comments in your pocket. Uh, don't touch me, motherfucker. <laughs> in a minute, bitch. <laughs> oh, there's so many good ones. So many. So many good ones. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Um, out of the two yeah. of us, out of our <laughs> friendship, who do you think is the Tommy and who do you think is the Greg? <laughs> I feel like you would be Greg because you can actually play football, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the qualifier. Yeah, of if you, you know Tommy like Wiseau, crazy... it kind of is. <laughs> but I'm like, I saying. feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit. But yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> I feel like I am more like alien though than you are. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Either way, I don't know. You are the Greg to my Tommy and the Tommy to my Greg. We'll just make things. I think together. we all have a little Tommy and a little Greg in us. I think so. <laughs> I do too, and that's why we love it. <laughs> yes. Um, any other famous quotes you want to say before we sign off have here? Have we said them all? Oh, I don't know. My favorite will always be the classic. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> or the, uh, <laughs> how's your sex life? <laughs> <laughs> or his laugh, just like, ah. Or just them doing the chick noise. Cheep, 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 cheep. Cheep, 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 cheep. Have you never heard a chicken, guys? Come on. <laughs> Or Greg has that one line where he says, like, there's this one girl, she has a dozen guys. One of them found out and beat her so bad she ended up on a hospital on on Guerrero Street. And then Tommy goes, like, "Uh, what a story, Mark. (laughs) Like, he laughs at this story about a woman being beaten. And they're like... Tommy, that's not a funny story. Oh, you never know. People are strange these days. God. Um, I really wish they could have done the scene where he originally thought of. He wanted Tommy to be like a vampire that like flew off in a car into like the sunset. (laughs) Everybody betray me. I'm fed up with this world. (laughs) That's what we should go out on. All right. We'll end it on that. Okay. (laughs)